Christian faith uh, in the Word of God. And when you're under the preaching, we ought to grow in grace and in knowledge. When you're learning the Scriptures, reading the Bible, you ought to have some growth, some spiritual growth in your life. And so as Christians, we are to mature even as a child grows you know, physically. We're to grow spiritually in our Christian lives. If you're just kind of stagnant or just staying where you are, or you haven't learned anything in years, I'm saying go back and read the Scriptures. Uh, how many of you have ever heard the story of Ahithophel? How many of you have heard that story? I, I, I mean, when he was preaching it this morning, I was like, how many times have I read that? I even have stuff underlined, Chris, and I still was like, I don't remember this. And, and, and yet, uh, how exciting that was this morning to hear that preaching uh, out of that particular passage. And so I was excited about it. Um, and what I want to share with you is we ought to always be growing spiritually. Let me give you a couple of verses out of Hebrews just to help us. And I titled tonight's message, Hold Fast. And so uh, when you look in the scriptures, we're to hold fast in our faith. And we do that uh, by the things uh, that we learn and implement, put it into practice, put, make uh, practical application out of the Word of God. In Hebrews 5, 12, and 13, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, some say Barnabas, but, you know, uh, I look at it and it says in Hebrews 5, 12, and 13, for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again with the first principles of the oracles of God. You know, Paul is, is kind, but he's also, I think, being forthright with these folks. You know, there comes a time in your Christian life when you've got to move beyond sitting in the pew and you've got to do something. And so Paul is kind of motivating these folks and saying, hey, you've got to step up to the plate. There's a time where you now need to advance. And you need to move beyond just the basics, although it's wonderful, but we've got to move beyond the basics of salvation and move into becoming teachers of the oracles of God, the principles of God. And he goes on and he makes this statement, and are become such as have need of milk. In other words, we're regressing instead of progressing in our Christian faith. We're going backwards rather than going forward, or we've become stagnant in our Christian life. And what happens is, is it's almost like you've got to go back to the foundational things and build you from the ground up again because we're not grasping the meat. Now, I'll be honest with you. There are times whenever I go to uh, meetings and, and I, I'm not being unkind. I go in and I hear these preachers and I call them soapbox preaching. It gets everybody stirred up, riled up. I walk away and I say, what did I learn tonight? I remember I heard a message one time and the guy, was, the entire message was talking about mush the bag. Mush the bag, mush the bag. He was talking about uh, this bread that his wife had gotten, and every day you had to mush the bag. Now, he started off about Joshua marching around the wall with the people in Jericho, and I got it, but I walked away really remembering one thing. If I ever buy that bread, I know for seven days i got to mush the bag. <laughs> now, I'll be honest with you. Principally, <laughs> I said, if I ever bought that bread, I know what to do. But what did I walk away with? And sometimes, folks, when it comes to the Scriptures, we need to engross ourselves in what we're learning. You see, surface preaching only builds a shallow crowd. Whenever you start really teaching the oracles of God, it deepens our relationship with the Lord, and it deepens our prayer life. It deepens our relationship with others. It deepens the desire that we have to please God. And, and, and listen, I can't do that for you. I can only teach these things. You have to decide in your heart that you're going to get beyond mushing the bag. And you have to decide that you're going to want something out of the Word of God. He makes this statement. He says, and are become as have need of milk and not of strong meat. 
For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. And so Paul was really correcting them with where they are. He's saying, grow up. Grow up as Christians. And to grow up as a Christian, you have to take personal responsibility beyond what's been, uh, been coming from the pulpit. You have to take on personal responsibility to grow in your faith. In 1 Peter 2.2, he says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. Peter's saying something very different than what Paul was saying when it comes to the milk. He's saying desire the sincere milk of the world. It's like that strong meat. Uh, my mom used to tell me when I was a baby, she'd put the bottle in my mouth, and she said, you would suck that bottle so hard till sweat would pour off your lip. And, and, and she said, man, and she said, all I had to do was get it near you, and your lips would start moving. And she said, I'd put that thing in your mouth, and it'd be like, and she said, sweat would come off your lip. And I thought, desire the sincere, right? <laughs> milk of the word. You want that meat. And so I want to challenge us. We're to possess some uh, mature characteristics as we grow in our faith and in the knowledge of the truth of the Word of God. And so the challenge is, do you possess the following biblical principles as your standard of life? You know, the Lord really would have us to hold fast or possess biblical principles. And what it does, it helps us maintain a strong testimony for Him. You see just a few passages here. But think about the principles that are taught in these few passages. And God doesn't have to say much to make a point, does he? He says, quench not the spirit. I could preach on that for months now. Just that phrase in that verse, quench not the spirit. And then he tells us, despise not prophesying. In other words, don't reject the preaching. And so he tells us, uh, don't suppress the spirit. Don't reject scriptural truth. And then he says, prove all things. I like that phrase. I like it whenever I hear men preach, but I can go back to the Scriptures and say, okay, I can equate that to what was just coming out of the Scriptures. Because some men take a message and they bring it into the Bible and come up and give you something. What we should be doing is getting into the Bible and bringing out what the Scriptures teach. Would you agree? <laughs> and so we need what's coming out of the Bible, not just trying to bring something into it. And he says, prove all things. And so when you look at this, prove all things, test all by truth. Truth is the Word of God. You test things by what the truth is, not by what the Internet preacher said, not by the next YouTube preacher, but test what is being said by the Word of God. Don't challenge the Word of God in the sense of, well, this guy must be right, and the Bible's got to be wrong. You've got to look at it from the perspective of, I've got to look at what the Bible says and test what this man has said according to what the Scriptures teach. And so we need to not try to bring it into the Bible. We need to bring out of the Bible what it's teaching us. So he says, test all things. I like this too, hold fast that which is good. You know, retain the good. A lot of times we walk around and we think very negatively in our minds and in our hearts and our attitudes and our spirit. And we become very negative people, but God wants us to retain those things which are good. And this, folks, is one of the verses that I read in this should really challenge us as, as believers. Abstain from all appearance, all appearance of evil. Now, I'm going to share a quick story with you about that one. And it was as I was in a restaurant one day. How many of you know what IBC root beer is? Anybody know that? Anybody ever hear of it? It comes in a brown bottle. I was in a restaurant one day, and I was drinking IBC root beer out of this brown bottle. And there was someone from the community saw me in there drinking this brown bottle. And what do you think they thought I was drinking? 
Right. <laughs> That's exactly it. You can drop off the root. <laughs> and the thing of it is, is that it bothered me so much that I've not picked up another bottle of IBC root beer. And, and you say, is that, is that really what you should have done? Well, I don't want to become a stumbling block to anybody. So I avoid it now. So I want you to think about some things. First of all, the Bible says do not suppress the spirit. When we're talking about suppression, it's, it's to extinguish or to put out or to snuff it out, to smother it or to douse it, if you will, uh, or to dampen it down. And, and the Bible also teaches us in Ephesians 4.30, he says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. We're told not to quench or to grieve the Spirit of God. And to quench the Spirit is, is God uh, uses the Spirit of the Lord in our lives to convict us of things. And here's what we can do sometimes. I'm not paying attention to that. That's squelching the Spirit. That's, that's saying, I, I know this is wrong, but I don't care. And that is suppression of the Spirit. Uh, or I know this is right, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> That's suppression of the Spirit. That's God, and I believe conviction is very different than guilt, by the way. Conviction comes by way of what the Word of God says, and I know I've gone against it. Guilty is, is I got busted. I got caught. <laughs> so I don't believe in guilt in that sense, that guilt is conviction. Guilt can bring conviction, but I'm sharing with you that I believe conviction is, I know God's Word says, and I'm either not doing it or I am doing what I should not. And so that's when conviction comes into my life. And what I share with you is this. Uh, he tells us not to put out or snuff out things when God does it to us. And if you think about grieving someone, you talk about stressing or to make sad even. And so when we do wrong and we possess the Spirit of God in us, amen? So if you're saved, where's the Spirit? In us. And so God gave us two responsibilities with the Spirit which possesses us. Don't grieve Him and don't quench Him. Don't do those things to the Spirit. And so in this phrase, he says, quench not the Spirit. He tells us not to do this. In fact, in Mark 14, 38, the Bible says, watch and pray lest ye enter into temptation. The Spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is what? Weak. We understand that when we give in to the flesh, we're suppressing the Spirit because the Spirit is willing. Isn't that wonderful? It didn't say that he was authoritative. He said that he's willing. The Spirit of God is willing to do things in our lives and we have to make the choice to allow the Spirit to rule over us. And, and so we have a choice in this matter. And so I love it that Mark teaches it that way. And when you suppress the Spirit, I believe it's a conscious choice. You choose to do this. You make a conscious decision to say, I know what the Scriptures teach. And essentially you're saying, I know what the Spirit's doing to me right now, but I choose not to let it happen. And so that's suppression of the Spirit. And you choose to ignore the Lord and begin operating what I would say either based off the flesh or human philosophy. I'm going to act upon it the way that I think rather than what I know to be true. And so that's the suppression of the Spirit. So what decisions do you need to make to avoid the suppression of the Spirit in life? I think God gives us some answers scripturally. Let me give you some verses. You can write these down. I'm not going to turn to each of these. But some scriptural answers that God provides so that we can not suppress the Spirit in our lives. Many of you know these verses, but in Galatians 5, 16, and 25, the Bible says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the what? The lust of the flesh. So if I'm going to walk in the Spirit, I can do that without fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And so God tells us what to do. 
He says also in that passage in verse 25, he says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So in Galatians 5, 16 and 25, he gives us some insight as to how to avoid suppressing the Spirit. So we're to walk in it. When you look at that word walk, it's not about me walking down the street. It's about incorporating this into my life. It's about making it a part of me. And so how do I do that? Well, God promised us in the Scriptures in John chapter 14 and verse 26, He said, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, He's going to come and He will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. And so what He's taught us is the Word of God. And the Spirit of the Lord can bring that to our remembrance in our time of need. At that moment, you have a choice to make. Let me give you a good example. I'm angry and I choose to act upon it or choose not to. Right? Be angry and... So if we know that verse and we decide not to enact that verse at that moment, what have we just done? We've just what? Suppressed the Spirit, haven't we? We said, I know, but I don't care. (laughs) I'm going to do it my way. And so just to give you a slight example of it, but we can do that in almost any area of our life. And, and we know that if we implement what God says, then we're going to walk in the Spirit. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. How many of you know those verses? Love not the world, <laughs> neither the things that are in the world, right? If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So God told us, don't get ourselves so wrapped up in this world. Would you agree? And what you're saying, and when you read that verse, he said, love not the world. It, mean, it doesn't mean that we don't love the people in the world or we don't care about folks, but when the, our possessions and the things we own and all these things around us have more meaning to us than our Heavenly Father does, we're backwards, aren't we? We're off kilter. When those things have a hold of me rather than me having a hold of them, then there's something wrong with that. And he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. He's not talking about not loving people. He's talking about all these things that are around us that take us in more, and it's material gain more often than not, isn't it? And he talks about the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, and you think about those things. My position in my job is more important to me than my relationship with Christ, and I'll do whatever it takes to get that position in this company. Wow. That would be sad to be that way, wouldn't it? (laughs) But the fact is, as we kind of come to that place, and when we love the world more than we love God, those kinds of things come about. He tells us in Ephesians 5, 17 through 21, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and be not drunk with wine where it is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And he tells us to do something. How many of you read that and realize he's telling you to talk to yourself? Now, most people would say, if you talk to yourself, you're crazy. But he says, speaking to yourselves, last time I looked, I'm the yourselves in that message, right? (laughs) Speaking to yourselves. And he says, do it in such a way, what? In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. He tells us there's a way to start talking to ourselves. And he says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual Think about it for just a moment. So my thinking, my way of thinking in the world, and the things that I value, and then how I'm living that out, those are the three things he just taught us. 
And so if we're going to avoid suppressing the Spirit, we've got to heed to these. So to suppress the Spirit really is simply, I'm going to ignore God's Word. I know what it says, but I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to do what I want, but to quench not the Spirit is to say, you know what? (laughs) I'm going to react or act upon what I believe God's leading me to do. Number two, avoid dismissing the Word of God. Do not reject spiritual truth or scriptural truth. He says, despise not prophesyings. And so the Bible teaches us to despise not these prophesyings, and it includes all the aspects of God's Word. So here's the thing. Sunday school in the local church is for time of teaching. We shouldn't avoid Sunday school. You say, well, I got it all down. Well, good for you, because I've been being in Sunday school for a long time, and I've taught it, and every time I go to Sunday school, I go, huh, that's new. <laughs> and you know what's so wonderful about it is, is that we ought to constantly be learning God's Word, and, and we shouldn't avoid the teaching of God's Word. And so quench not the Spirit, and, and don't reject scriptural truth, and he tells us this. Let me give you three verses, 2 Timothy 4, 3. Titus 1.9, and 2 John 1.9. And here's what's happening in our nation today, and I really believe in our local churches today, and it doesn't matter whether we're independent fundamental Baptists or some other label that we place upon things, but here it is. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. There's coming a day when people don't want to hear truth. And we're coming to that place today in our society. We could see it in the world, but it's starting to happen in the church as well. We, we like, hey, listen, tickle my ears. Scratch the itching ear. Uh, make me feel good when I leave here rather than teach me truth so that I may change to please God. And we've gotten to the place in our local churches where the church has become a tickling institution. We're going to make you feel good. You know, you're like Elmo. Tickle me Elmo. And you get to leave and you're like, <laughs> you know. And the thing of it is, is God wants us to learn some things about him, doesn't he? And it ought to change us. We ought to come in. And if we are not convicted about things, there's something wrong. We ought to feel some conviction in our lives and say, you know what, I need to change. He tells us, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, right? (laughs) Just tickle me. (laughs) Make me feel good. He goes on and says in Titus 1.9, holding fast the faithful word as hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So the way to overcome that stuff is knowing what the truth of the word of God teaches. In 2 John 1, 9, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. What Brother Hub said this morning is so true. There's a lot of guys that are, are not preaching the gospel anymore. They're not teaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've been to churches all across the country. When I go on vacation, I go to church. When I go into some of these churches, I don't know how many stewardship programs and financial seminars and everything else that we go to, and I'm thinking to myself, good gracious, where's the gospel? And we need the gospel back in the local church. So the teaching, the preaching has to happen as well. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Now, what the Bible says, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And then in Colossians 1.28, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. The whole premise is to preach the truth. Well, part of this prophesying is also the prediction of future events. 
the prediction of future events. We have an entire book called what? Revel. Go ahead, say it with me. Revelation. <laughs> right? So we have an entire book. And God's telling us about the future, isn't he? In fact, in, in this next chapter, or in this next uh, uh, letter to the church at Thessalonica, he starts bringing up a lot of that material, doesn't he? And so you go and you read it, and you look, and he starts predictions of the future. And John 14, 3, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's yet future, isn't it? And so we read the Bible, and here's the thing. Do you believe that? So it's something that's yet future. It hasn't happened yet, has it? He's there, but we're not there with him. He hadn't come back yet, but he promised me he would. So do I believe him? So there's yet prophesying in the scriptures, isn't there? And, and, and when we look at that future prediction way of as well, 1 Corinthians 15, 52, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Has that happened yet? No. But it's in the book of Corinthians. <laughs> and so when we say despise not prophesying, in other words, it's not just future events, it's talking about the teaching and the preaching, the doctrines and, and, and the preaching, uh, the proclaiming of the gospel, but it's also talking about things that Jesus has said to us in the New Testament and all the way into the book of Revelation we find this, and he's made all these predictions about things that are yet future, they haven't happened yet. But we need not reject that truth because it hasn't happened yet, right? And he goes on and he says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Has that happened yet? No. But yet that's predicted that it will happen, isn't it? And this is where our faith comes in. This is where the preaching of the Word of God, this is why we tell people, this is why we preach these messages, because we want the world to know Jesus is coming again. And they need to trust Christ as Savior if they want to spend eternity in heaven or they want to spend an eternity in hell apart from him. We teach these things. That's the reason for it. And so you go in and you see this. And in, in uh, uh, Revelation 1.7, he said, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. Has that happened yet? No. <laughs> but it's yet future, isn't it? And so we need not despise or reject these truths we need to understand why we're meeting and why we're getting together and why we need to get the message out because there is a day coming when he's coming again, right? <laughs> and he will come again. The obedience to God is another issue here in the prophesying. Uh, he tells us uh, in John 14, 5, if you love me, keep my what? Keep my commandments, keep my word. He tells us in Luke 6, 46, and why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? He said, you do not the things which I say. Why do you call me Lord if you're not going to do what I'm asking you to do? Why call me that? And then he says in James 1.22, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving what? Your own selves. You're deceiving yourself if you don't do what the word of God says. And then there's that inspired messages. <laughs> the preaching of the word, the proclaiming of the word. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all scripture is given by what? inspiration of God. And it's profitable, folks. It is. I know it's changed my life. I got saved when I'm 30. I'm 54. I'll be 55 in August. And I know how much my life has changed. I know how much it's changed. And the thing of it is, it came by way of Scripture truth. 
And he says it's profitable. In 2 Peter 1.21, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You know what that tells me? This was written by God, not man. It's exactly what it teaches. And so many people want to debunk it, and they want to debate over whether who wrote what book and all this stuff, or when it was written, and all these things. And I'm sitting there saying, accept the truth. I mean, open it. It has not died yet. Man has tried to do away with this book so many times, and yet it's still here, is it not? When you think about it, John 17, 17, he tells us one thing, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The way to be sanctified or to be cleansed or to be cleaned up or to understand these truths is by the truth of God's word. And so the inspired messages. So the Word of God, the Bible, is the Word of truth. And when you hear the Scriptures, the reading, preaching, or teaching, do not despise or reject it. Analyze what's taught, though. Don't be afraid to read your Bible. Don't be afraid to come and ask pastor questions. I don't know everything. I'm studying the Bible just like you are. God's given me a role and responsibility to come up here and preach it to you. If I knew it all, there'd be no need to preach it, right? And so the thing of it is, is that I'm preaching what I have studied and learned, and I believe God's feeding me as I feed you. (laughs) And so whenever I go in and I look at this, test all by truth, that word there in verse 21 says, prove all things. That's to test it. Test it according to the Scriptures. Not so that I might become argumentative with people, but that I might look at it according to the Scriptures. It means to test, and in context with the Scriptures, prove all things, and to check everything that you know or have heard according to the truth of God's Word. And they were more noble, weren't they? They were more noble. And what happens is, is they were more noble because they did one thing. What did they do? They tested the Scriptures, didn't they? They tested what men said according to the Scriptures. And so think about it with me. Uh, You're not to compare yourselves among yourselves, and so many people live their Christian life based upon what other Christians are doing. Fooey, man. Stop it. Look at what God's Word says. Base your relationship upon who God is and what He's taught you, not what other people are doing or not doing. Now, I'm not saying people can't be examples for us, but I'm not comparing my life with their life because that's wrong according to the Scriptures. And so He teaches us something, and He says, you're not to compare yourselves among yourselves and spiritually. And and listen, what is acceptable to the Lord is not measured by what others think about God. It's measured by who God is. Amen? And, and I measure it based upon who the Lord is, not on who people think the Lord is. So I look to the Scriptures to lead my life. 2 Corinthians 10, 12, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not what? Wise. They're not very smart when they do that. We're not to compare ourselves to others that way. We're to look at ourselves in light of the Scriptures. So test all the truth of God's Word. 1 Corinthians 2.13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And what we want to do is we want to take the world and compare it to Scripture that way and say, well, the world says this is okay. I know the Bible says this, but the world or my friends or someone outside, and we can't do that. When you look at the world, you look at it in light of the Scriptures. Would you agree? And I say, okay, here's what the Bible says. And so when I look at what's happening there, then I have to test it according to truth or God's Word. So even our own lives are not compared with others, but we're to examine our lives in light of Scripture. How many of you know 2 Corinthians 13, 5? But let a man 
Mm. So whenever I look at this, you go to 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he said, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. That's a tough question, isn't it? Paul in 2 Corinthians, he's getting down to the nitty-gritty here, and he's saying, you need to test yourselves. You need to take an exam. And he said, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. And he goes on, he makes a statement. He said, prove your own selves. Test your own selves. And he goes on and he says, know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you? And the next phrase that he uses just blows a gasket for me, Mike. Except you be reprobates. You go back to Romans chapter 1 and he tells you what a reprobate is. Now he didn't tell me to examine anybody else. He said, examine yourselves. He never told me to examine anybody else. He said, examine yourself. And when he told me to examine myself, he said, examine yourself whether you're in the faith. And he said, prove your own selves. And he says, are you in the faith? Are you walking in the faith? And so we test that according to truth, not man. So the test is a test by truth and therefore analyze what is taught through the scriptures and then view your life accordingly. Keep hold of the high standard of God. Notice what he says in verse 21. He said, prove all things. Hold fast that which is what? Good. Hold fast that which is good. So we're to seize or possess the high standards of God. We need to look of those things that have an eternal value and cling on to those things. We cling on to so many things that have no value, really. They have earthly value, I suppose, but, but do they have eternal value? And so when he says in this passage, hold fast to that which is good, he's saying cling on to those things that have eternal value. Hold on to those things that have the more value than what the world has. And so as you look at this, uh, he says in 3 John 1.11, he said, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. And I read that passage, and that's pretty heavy, isn't it? If I'm going to do something evil, he's saying you haven't even seen God. Like you don't know him. <laughs> you don't have a relationship with him if you're going to walk around doing evil. And so God tells us to retain that which is good. So to do good or to hold fast to that which is good is to please the Lord because we are known by our fruits, and the fruit is what is apparent to God. He's the one that sees it. He's the one that tests it. He's the one that knows it. So this indicates that you should be involved in that work, which is beneficial. Let me read these off to you. I'm not going to read all these tonight. Let me read these off to you, okay? And I, I wrote down some things here uh, that indicate if you're involved in that which is beneficial to the work of the Lord, you perform that which is good. You do it. You, you, you take hold of it. You do those things. Let me give you some verses that indicate that. Uh, Hebrews 10.24. Hebrews 10.24. Colossians 1.10, Colossians 1.10, Titus 3.14, Titus 3.14, Matthew 5.16, Matthew 5.16, I feel like I'm playing bingo here, <laughs> Ephesians 2.10, I know that's illegal in an independent fundamental Baptist church to say the word bingo, right? Shh. Ephesians 2.10. Titus 2.7 and 14. Titus 2.7 and 14. And 1 Peter 2.12. 
Let me give you the crux of these. I'll read the first one to you, the Hebrews passage, 1024. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. <laughs> now, the word provoke means to poke people to do the right thing. That's what it means. To provoke is to poke them and say, hey, I want you to do what's right. And, and so the whole premise of these verses that I gave you here is that we might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing <laughs> and let also us to learn and maintain good works. Let your light so shine before men. You get in the picture? What are we supposed to do? The good things. Those are the things that ought to be evident in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works. Isn't that wonderful? God's telling us as believers this is what we ought to do and we're to retain the good and then we're to present the good to others that they might be drawn to Christ. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven, right? And so we're to do these things. In 1 Peter 2.12, he said, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. The day of visitation is when God shows up. Boom. You've tried to tell them. And you've tried to demonstrate to them. And even though they speak evil of your good works and the things that you're doing that's good, there's coming a day, isn't there? But we're to still demonstrate that and so retain the good. The last thing is this. We're to keep away from anything that even gives the impression of ungodliness. When you look at this passage, it's very powerful, folks. Abstain from all appearance. Appearance of evil. So I gave you the IBC root beer in the beginning, right? And maybe there's some things in your life that just appear not so good. Ladies, it might be after work that you're standing in the parking lot talking to a gentleman who is not your husband for just a little too long. And it may have the appearance of what? Evil. Be careful. Be careful with those kinds of things because it doesn't appear to be good. And you say, I don't want that responsibility. God gave it to us. He said, abstain from all, what? Appearance of evil. And so we need to be conscientious about these things. Let me give you this rather quickly. Avoid the wicked is what I call it. To abstain is to avoid. And we're told even in those situations that appear to be wrong or wicked and ungodly, he said abstain from those things if they even appear that way. Romans, 3, or Romans 13, 13 and 14, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Sometimes we get ourselves in positions that we shouldn't, and the way that that occurs is by even giving in to some things that we don't think such a big deal, and slowly it manifests itself into something that it ought not be. And we got to be careful. As Christians, we do have a responsibility to God and a responsibility to other believers. We have it to our family and to our church family to be cautious with our life and our lifestyle. How many of you recall God coming down? He says, he says to Cain, where's your brother? And he said, am I my brother's what? You know what the answer is? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And you need to be kind to people that say, you know, that just doesn't look good. Well, I was just going to have dinner with him. <laughs> what? <laughs> He's an old friend from high school. I was just having dinner. How many of you would like to see your pastor in a restaurant with a woman that's not my wife, and I was just telling you, it's an old friend from high school. 
it hit the front page of uh, the CCBC News, <laughs> right? You'd say, man, that's a problem. But the thing of it is, is we don't think about it in our own lives, about how things can appear at times. And so we need to be conscientious about it. And he says, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes. So the, knowing that the answer is yes, we need to watch out for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to watch out for our family. Agreed? We need to tell them. And we need to let them know that things that even appear to be evil don't look good, and so we need to do something about it. Paul stated this in 1 Corinthians 8 9, but take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. And we've got to be careful about things that we do because there are other Christians watching us at times and we need to be conscientious about it. I, I had someone tell me, a Christian tell me, I don't want that responsibility. Unfortunately, you already have it. <laughs> if you're saved, it belongs to you. And so you need to be conscientious about it. And you need to think about those things that you're doing because they can affect other people. Abstain from even the appearance of evil. So we must take caution in our lives, in our lifestyle, for we're to even abstain from the appearance of evil. So hold fast to that which is good. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the...